nice to be with you all. And uh, <clears throat> I'm at Audaria. Everything is fine here. And uh, I have been able to complete the first draft of the book I've been writing for some time. And uh, wow. I've gone through the first section of it as well for a second time. So it's proceeding along at a, at a pace uh, that is... Uh, faster than I had expected. So mm. nice. uh, later this year. Well, it's pretty exciting with the book. Great. And you did the, and you did the radio interview recently too. I did a radio interview yesterday. Recently. Yeah. Yeah. Did yeah. Yeah. I did hear it. I was kind of wondering how that came about. I really liked it. Um, it seemed like it covered a lot of ground. The host for that um, is a, some type of a Christian priest huh. who's been um, corresponding with me for about a year or more and listening to my lectures and is very inspired by, by them and mm. wants to be connected more deeply. And so apparently he has this radio show, uh, I don't know how often it's once a week maybe or I, don't, I really don't know. And um, he wanted me to be on it. So I said, okay, it's broadcast to 100 pretty wide circulation. Mm. And um, I thought it went well. I mean, he was a very favorable um, interviewer. Yeah, I really liked his questions. I was like, oh, these are cool questions. They were good questions. Very difficult for me. So um, I thought it went well. Yeah, yeah, I really, I really liked it. Um, that was cool. Yeah. Um, so a question. So Padmanabha Swami had a question and he sent it in for whoever was hosting to ask. Um, so his question is, um, what piece of advice would you give to a sadhaka who is not fully expert in feeling herself loved by other devotees while well, she actually is? And because of this lacking, she is still looking for affection in a superficial way, looking for name, fame, etc. How um, how could that person overcome this particular obstacle? That's his question. Well, it sounds like the obstacle is uh, the desire for pratishta and recognition, and. Um, And of course, it's important to point out <coughs> the um, how empty that is, how meaningless that is, how uh, uh, contradictory, if you will, to bhakti that is, where we um, seek to honor others, expect no honor for ourselves, give all honor to Bhagwan, and so on. So I think that uh, on the one hand, it's it's important to lay out uh, very clearly how unbecoming such a uh, desire is, to be very uh, frank about it. Uh, someone, maybe Raghunath Das Goswami, has said that the ishta or the desire for recognition and uh, distinction and so forth it's like the uh, stool of pigs who eat stool of the stool of others. So it's that's not a, that's a very 
kind of a crude way of putting it, but um, I believe it was he who used that um, example to shed light on how unbecoming it is for another uh, other paths of uh, transcendental pursuit. Um, it's, uh, it's obviously not as, as, um, as much uh, emphasized <clears throat> in yoga or gyan, especially in a school where one thinks that uh, one be kind of can become in all respects with the absolute. But, um, but even there, of course, um, even in yoga and gyan, humility is, is considered to be a virtue. But it's very much underscored within, uh, within bhakti. Speaking about humility, of course, it's more or less speaking about the opposite of, of pride. Um, but at the same time, Mars seems to be speaking about someone who has some type of a psychological issue um, wherein they have a lack of self-esteem. Uh, and uh, despite the fact that they're very much appreciated and uh, they have many, many good qualities and other devotees like them and so on and so forth, they uh, tend to um, not see themselves in that light and maybe um, overthink things and, and beat themselves up and so forth. So that's a, that's a psychological issue that a lot of people have. Um, and it sounds like the, uh, the devotee that Marsh is speaking about uh, might have an issue like that. And um, <clears throat> there are, um, I think, uh, surely a psychological uh, um, methods um, and uh, guidance that could help someone um, with that. There are, it's, a, it's a very prominent issue in, 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 in the uh, industrialized world. And a um, and lot, lot of women, I think, are, are troubled by it, perhaps more, more than men. So there's a lot of advice out there um, about that. And there are some devotees who probably have degrees in psychology who are familiar with, the, uh, with the, uh, that issue and have techniques and tools and so forth that can help such a person. So I would advise to get that type of help through reading about it, um, getting consultation with someone. Um, it's, it's kind of a, you know, a mental issue, a psychological issue <clears throat> that um, needs to be attended to just like a physical ailment uh, and may need to be attended to that I can um, better uh, proceed with my practice. So uh, it's not my field, I'm not an expert on that. I have experienced devotees who have that issue and um, there definitely are some, some type of, besides the rationale that explaining it's not really the fact, people like you, it doesn't seem to work. Um, and, but there are some real good tools, I believe, to, to deal with that from the, from the, from the realm of psychology. 
modern psychology. So I would advise a person to take that, take advantage of, of them. And perhaps uh, in the best case scenario, find a devotee who has a degree in psychology and is practicing in that field to, to help one. Mm -hmm. um, this is, of course, it's not bhakti to, uh, to go to the doctor. It's not bhakti to um, work on your psychology either. Um, but um, it uh, may be something we need to do to help us pursue our bhakti. And we can look at it like that. But uh, I have advice. I mean, otherwise, obviously, from, at least from a scriptural point of view, the, the, the texts are full of advices against uh, Pratishta and, and, and desire for distinction, adoration, uh, fame, and so on and so forth. And uh, probably with a person with a problem like that, you could quote them all day. And it, 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 it may even be counterproductive given the way they, they interpret things um, psychologically. So kind of outside help would be something I'd recommend. Okay. Um, yeah. So the next question is from Brej Bhumi. I see a question has come on here. Oh, um, oh yeah, I see that. About um, whether the, the uh, my voice sound is breaking well. up for others. Can everyone hear very, very well? You're not breaking up for me, but maybe it would help if you were speaking louder, um, just a little bit. I don't, I don't know if that's a thing for everyone. I mean, Archana, can you? Is, it's not is, breaking up over here. Okay. Yeah, I can hear him pretty good from our end. Okay. Maybe it's something with, um, wait. Yeah, it, maybe it's just, it's something maybe for you, Vijay Kumar, because it seems like other devotees are able to hear okay. Yeah. Um, hmm, maybe it's your internet. Oh, no, it's, it's okay. I mean, it seems like I can just turn up my volume. It seems like it's okay for other devotees. Okay, next question. Yeah, um, so, Raj Bhumi? Good morning, Guru Raj. Good morning. So, a long time ago, you were speaking... Uh, in one class about Lord Shiva being uh, really important in having a really important role in Guru Lila. And you didn't really say what that role was or elaborate at all, but you just said that it, it was, it was very important and it was something that devotees should, uh, should appreciate and, 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 you know, basically saying that he, he is someone that we honor. Mm -hmm. And I yeah. was just curious if you could maybe give some more uh, insight into what role he actually has. It's mentioned in the Bhagavatam in the 11th canto in the verses that describe Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Shiva Nichnutam Sharanyam that he appears along with Shiva and Brahma. Hmm. So this is a reference to uh, Brahma Haridas, which is the way in which um, Advaita Charya um, identified Haridas. And therefore, the Brahma, if you will, of 
um, that the Bhagavatam refers to is thought to be Haridas, and the Shiva is Advaita. So um, we speak of Advaita as Mahavishnu, um, particular feature of Mahavishnu is a complicated uh, theological uh, figure, but um, the, uh, the, the, this particular aspect of Mahavishnu is such that um, he is Vishnu and Maha, Maha means Shiva, Mahadev. Um, so sometimes we refer to him, Kavikarnapur has referred to him or identified him with um, Mahas, with whom, uh, um, what's the term? Um, um, it's not Mahasankarshan, it's uh, it's, um, I can't remember the term now, but anyway, it's, um, it's the uh, form of Shiva who's not different from Mahavishnu. So obviously um, Shiva in this sense as a Dvaita is um, thought to be a combined form of Mahavishnu and Shiva is very important. He brought Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to the world through his, uh, his, his worship and um, it's also thought that, I think I mentioned this in a recent lecture on Dvaita Saptami, that um, Advaita, who received uh, the deities of Madan Gopal in Vrindavan, then uh, in a dream told him to give, him to give them to a Brahmin in Mathura, which he did and felt bereft, but then they appeared again in a dream and told him that he could find a picture that Vishaka had drawn um, of, of Krishna for Radharani in such such place, and he went there and he found the picture. Of course, he took that back to Bengal, and I think it was when um, Madhavendapuri came there, initiated him, told him to get a, a corresponding picture of Radha drawn, and that's thought to be the origination then, the worship of Radha and Krishna in within Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Mm. Um, and uh, <clears throat> of course, he brought Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who is Radha and Krishna, to becoming one. That's another reason his name is called, called Advaita. Hmm? He made the two one hmm? in the form of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So, just a few words about Advaita, who is the Shiva of Gorlila. It's very important. Of course, you know that, but you didn't. You didn't um, perhaps know that uh, you know that weight is important. Yeah, awesome. I, I I did think that maybe that's what you meant, but I didn't want to just guess. So, well, you were right. So, glad to confirm that for you. Thank you. Um, okay, so what's next, Kishore? Hello, Jagumaj. Good morning. So, a question came up for me in um, last night's Sandarva class. We were talking about the manifestation of Krishna. Um, I understand that the Sarup Shakti um, is kind of the outreach of mercy into our lives that brings Krishna into our life. Um, but when Krishna manifests 
um, before a devotee, is that decision of manifesting Krishna's decision, the Srup Shakti's decision, or somewhat of a mix of both? Well, Bhakti is constituted of the Srup Shakti of Krishna. So wherever Bhakti goes, Krishna has to go. He really doesn't have a choice in the matter. And the extent to which he actually makes his appearance and his presence palpable hmm, um, is considered to be a function of the Srup Shakti. So, for example, in Baba Bhakti, it's not that the Srup Shakti isn't um, active in the life of the sadhana, sadhaka, uh, she is, bhakti, again, is constituted of the Srupa Shakti. So as much as one um, actually comes under the influence of bhakti, which is an, which is an interesting and important issue worth uh, discussing for a moment, because you know, you, 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 we often distinguish, for example, between the paths of Varnashram and bhakti, and bhakti steps on the head of Varnashram, and so on and so forth. And certainly it, it does. But... Um, what is meant then by our acharyas in terms of a bhakta being transcendent to the realm of karma, which is the realm of varnashram, is that they come completely under the angas of bhakti. So it's a it's a very um, um, radical, if you will. Um, um, Lifestyle. There are many angas of bhakti. If we study them carefully, they they um, there are angas that, that pertain to, to speech, to to, um, to to action, to thought, and so it's supposed to be all uh, um, have the power to be all consuming um, of your psychological and biological self involved in bhakti under the influence of the sarup shakti. Um, failure to perform a particular anga, anga of bhakti is not defect within bhakti as it would be within varnashram or within yoga or jnana and so forth. Be, the reason being because each anga is powerful in and of itself. It's at least the primary angas. There are, there are primary angas and there are sub-angas to them in the list of 64 angas of, of, of given by Rupa Goswami, and there are more than 64 um, as well. There's another third mentioning the Bhagavatam that referred to. But at any rate, it's a very consuming um, lifestyle if properly understood. And while it's true that one may not perform all of them, one might just perform one of them and be perfect. And there are examples of devotees just performing kirtan, just performing shravanam and becoming perfect. We can't use that as an excuse to say, I'll just do kirtan and not do kirtan like Sukadev Goswami. Or I'll just do shravanam and not do shravanam like Maharaj Pariksit, each of whom, Pariksit Maharaj, listened attentively, only, exclusively, for seven days, foregoing food and, and uh, fasting. So he can become perfect with that kind of hearing. <laughs> but not just I hear sometimes, that's my that, that anga, anga that I do. And... Um, you won't be protected. Sometimes we, we, we speak about how bhakti um, eradicates karma. And some of the statements seem very strong and powerful. And they think and they seem to be 
a very uh, um, uh, sometimes hard for devotees to reconcile. It doesn't seem like I'm freed from karma, but the bhakti is supposed to be freeing me from karma. But you have to question the extent to which someone's actually engaged in bhakti, in their thinking, in their moving, in their in their speaking. Is it being done for Krishna? Is it, is it governed by one of the angas, the bhakti, and so forth? So when the Goswamis speak about faith only in bhakti and its efficacy being the uh, entry level, then what does it mean to be an entry level uh, bhakti? It means to be engaged in all these activities for the pleasure of Krishna hmm? throughout your whole you know, day. Hmm? That's what it means. If you're not, to the extent that you're not, well, you're, you're now in, you're, you're in the realm of karma. Hmm? Uh, Bhakti may be able to just digest a little bit of that, but, but, uh, but therefore there are different, different degrees of what it means to be um, a devotee. Um, so anyway, that's an aside worth emphasizing. Um, why it doesn't seem to be working for some people because they think I'm a devotee. I shouldn't be, uh, I should be in ecstasy. I shouldn't be um, troubled by any, by karma and so forth. Uh, but to what extent are we actually um, applying ourselves? Um, that's an important question for every devotee to ask, um, especially for, for householders. Um, uh, if you study the Bhagavatam and see what, what description, for example, in the seventh candle of the householder's life is, it's, 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 it's really focused on becoming Krishna conscious and along with having a family and so forth. It's, it's not, um, it's, it's very much about living simply and just uh, according to what, what you need to keep body and soul together and, and so forth. It's, it's quite a, I mean, this is a path of pursuing transcendence. So it's, it's an easy path relatively speaking, comparative to Gyan and yoga and so on and so forth, but it requires uh, our entire being, so to speak, uh, being uh, applied if we expect to get uh, the results. And otherwise results will be coming in due course and we may, we, may be, we may be pouring water and lighting a fire and pouring water and lighting a fire. And... Um, Plugging in and unplugging, plugging in the world, unplugging, plugging. So we kind of perpetuate the, the problem that we're trying to solve often. But at any rate, the point I'm making as an, as an aside, but the overall point is that Srup Shakti, Bhakti's constitute the Srup Shakti, so she's in the Sonicus life as well. But when the, that, that ingress of Srup Shakti becomes very prominent, because the Sadaka has used his or her Sadaka Deha, practitioner's body, completely in bhakti, body, mind, speech, and so forth, which in the, the whole range of human activities can be incorporated within. Obviously, certainly the deity requires all of those, all of those things that we do nor- normally, right, for Krishna. Um, so actually doing that, um, then um, one progresses, right? And, and, and then at the ingress, of the Surab Shakti becomes more and more prominent. And, um, and um, therefore it said, Bhava is, is such a measure of ingress of the Surab Shakti that's now overriding the, 
the antakarna, the subtle body and the gross body of, of the devotee, that it said, it's, Baba is this ingress. It's not that it's not there before, but now the ingress is very prominent. And Krishna makes his appearance. Now you're in the world of a spiritual emotion. Of everyone in that world is Krishna, some form of Krishna. So, um, so Krishna's appearing, uh, you know, yeah, as I say, wherever Bhakti is, which is the Srupa Shakti, Krishna has to go. So he's under her um, control. You can't find Krishna without his Srupa Shakti. Your question is, is Srupa Shakti manifesting Krishna? Is Krishna manifesting Srupa Shakti? Kind of, it's, kind of, it's kind of both. Srupa Shakti is within Krishna. He said he manifests it externally as Radha, but it's not at point, some point in time. Hmm? And then the Srupa Shakti shows Krishna. But Krishna's form is, is you, can, you can argue, it's constituted with Srupa Shakti. So, so I, I, I would give a- emphasis to the Srupa Shakti, to Bhakti, hmm? in terms of illuminating and, uh, and uh, uh, bringing the darshan of Krishna into someone's life. Hmm? Hmm. Does that help? Yeah, yeah, it does. Thank okay, stay engaged. You, you appear very effulgent in the temple room this morning. <laughs> yeah, okay. It's uh, some special effects, I'm sure. Special <laughs> um, Arshana, do you want to ask Karnam's question? Yeah, and I, I actually have a question I want to ask for myself, if that's okay. Yeah, go for it. Okay. Um, so I'll ask my question first. Um, so in the Madhurya could dominate <clears throat> those six stages of Anishta Bhajana Kriya, the ones in the initial enthusiasm running hot and cold, um, creating possibilities, central distractions, bell failure, and um, riding the waves of bhakti. So I always had the sense that those were like symptoms of Anishta Bhajana Kriya, but um, in that, in the book, um, the devotee who wrote the commentary, my mind's going blank right now, but um, he calls them stages. And so I always think of a stage as being something that we kind of have to go through to progress, um, just like the stages of bhakti. Um, so any thoughts about that? Because I never looked at them as, as stages per se. Mm-hmm. That's the um, insight of uh, he's basically talking about different psychological conditions that um, are getting in the way of one's ability to um, uh, practice with uh, without interruption, without and um, there may be other psychological, um, uh, you know, vision as well that arise. Um, I think that, you know, he was, assist- he, he's a later theologian from the founding Acharyas, and he's taking into consideration things that he's seen um, uh, that were taken into consideration by the early writers write about it, give the teaching, and then people practice it, and then things show up, and you see something, and you can comment on it later on. So 
he's doing something like that with, with a number of his books and so forth and and um, that as well, which would indicate, as I said, there may be other other type of psych psychological type of conditions that, uh, that, that get in the way. I mean, his are all directly, obviously, in, in relation to Bhakti itself. Um, thinking. Did he froze? Did he freeze? Yeah. Oh, wait. Can you repeat the last few minutes, the last like, minute you said, because you froze for a second? Yeah. So can you hear me now? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you know, there may be all of the psychological states that he lists there, all in relation to Bhakti, for example, thinking one's more advanced than one is because uh, one's learned a few things and doesn't realize how deep the path is. Or, we're thinking, should I get married? Should I renounce? And back and forth, back and forth, and back and forth on, on these thoughts and wasting a lot of mental energy over when, when in fact, on either path, when make and, and go for it. Um, so there may be other such psychological states or conditions in relation to bhakti that one could you know, bring up in the present, for example. Also, but I, I, I never looked at those as, as stages that one has to go through their conditions that someone might suffer from. Mm -hmm. um, one might not suffer from Utsahamai um, you know, being full of enthusiasm based on thinking that I'm more advanced than I am because I, I've understood the, the practice um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, 108 uh, when I actually much deeper than, than one realizes and so forth. That's fairly common, but not everybody necessarily has to go through that. Hmm? So I wouldn't look at them as necessary stages, but as conditions that one might be affected by um, psychologically that would get in the way and uh, to acknowledge them, to recognize them for what they are and uh, deal with them you know, accordingly. Mm -hmm. I think that's the idea there. Does that help, Archon? Yeah, no, definitely. Okay. That's kind of how I was thinking about it before. And then when he used that word stages, it kind of threw me off. And I thought, because that would mean that's, you know, progressive, progressive to, you know. Yeah. So if I'm feeling vow failure, which is like the next to the last stage, I wouldn't think that would be a higher, <laughs> getting closer to the. To the goal, but maybe but it seems not always that, a sometime, that sometimes the Lord takes a position, if I remember, sometimes the Lord takes a position, if I remember correctly. Prabhupada called Parashram the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So how far do we take that as a jiva? So, yeah. and so like the guru, like the guru is God in a representational form, but is also a devotee. So Parashram has the power and strength to kill the Kshatriyas 21 times. And according to Vishwanath Chakrabarti, 
Trishna Chakrabarti Thakur, he is also omniscient. And yet that omniscience seems conditional or not complete, completely. In the case of our Prabhupada being called a Shaktivesha avatar to, to spread Krishna consciousness all over the planet, how far should we take that empowerment as he sometimes seems to know what the devotees were thinking or needed to hear, but in other ways, he relied on us to help him understand certain things. Mm. Your thoughts on this? Yeah, there are different types of Shaktivesha avatar um, um, explained by the Goswamis. When one is the is when Vishnu himself, um, so to speak, incarnates, one of his own powers incarnates. Um, and so he's uh, God himself embodying one of his powers, like Gyan Shakti or Bhakti Shakti or something to that effect. Um, and then there's evil who becomes empowered by one of those potencies of God, his potency of knowledge or Bhakti or uh, there's Palana Shakti in the case of to the ruling power um, and so forth. So two types. Um, and with the, in, with regard to the latter, the, when a jiva becomes empowered by Bhagavan, that empowerment uh, can also uh, appear for a certain period of time and it can also recede. And that was the case with Parashuram also, who, he, who, who your, your husband mentions. Um, so at a certain point, his his um, his power was um, removed, and I think he was defeated by Rome in in, in battle. Uh, so um, <clears throat> that's a, um, a, a a a type of empowerment that can, that can come and go with the Lord's discretion. Um, there's also a kind of a vaish um, or empowerment described in Chaitanya Charitamrita. Also, I think uh, Nishringa Chaitanya, I think, was his name, devotee of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was appearing in, and um, but but um, that uh, was temporary. So, um, <clears throat> I think that um, when the when the power, if you will, of Bhagawan is predominant in a person, then we honor him that in terms of the power. So as Bhagawan. So for example, Parashurama is listed as one of the ten avatars. There's more than ten, but sometimes ten are are selected out. Um, and um, even though he is um, this was an empowerment that didn't last. So, you know, we look at him in that phase when he's empowered. Um, um, and that said, um, the idea that Prabhupada is a Shaktivesh avatar is, is, um, is a term that uh, I believe that Pujabhat Sridhamarsh used in a generous way. Um, and he, and he, he, he he concluded that Prabhupada was empowered by Nityananda Prabhu to do extraordinary um, seva. Um, and that would be kind of an empowerment for a particular seva that Prabhupada prayed for the power to be able to uh, render to his guru that could and would at a certain point um, recede. Um, but um, 
I don't think that uh, uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't look at it so uh, literally. I would look at it more that, 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 that that's a generous use of the term Shakti Vaj, uh, but that he was given a special power hmm, um, by Nityananda Prabhu to do his work um, is, 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 is uh, un, unquestionable, I think. Uh, the, the, his work was extraordinary. And Sridharmash was able to make the comparison. We weren't able to make the comparison because we only met Prabhupada in that stage. Pujapada Sridharmash analyzed him, knew him well, lived with him, and so on and so forth, lived in, in Prabhupada's, uh, uh, as, uh, with, with Prabhupada as his host for six years, um, knew him on a very uh, uh, intimate terms. Um, when he saw him return, and if you're a very analytical person, when he saw Prabhupada return from India, visited him, and so forth, he, 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 put, he started putting things together. He saw what had happened, he saw his disciples, and he saw something in Prabhupada that while he was unassuming in his nature, as usual, still there was something ex- extraordinary, vibrant in him that, uh, that stood out to Sridharmarsh. And so he was, this was part of his making his with a, with kind of a bold uh, statement, mm-hmm. uh, when asked to say something in praise of Prabhupada after his disappearance, and I think, that, but I think that he used it more broadly than it's used in the scripture, where we designate someone. Um, that's the way I look at it. Um, and um, I think that um, that you know going to the other extreme and and, and looking proper at proper as a Shaktivish avatar in all respects is not uh, not the best idea. Um, I, I think that. It, Um, uh, and that Prabhupada tends to be by some of his disciples distinguished from everyone in the past, anyone in, in, who could come in the future, and so on and so forth. And, uh, and it, it, it's um, just not um, accurate, and that's not taking anything away from him. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, 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 it, it's an analysis that lacks glorification that's accurate in terms of what he did in time and place um, that is extraordinary and historical um, um, and so forth. And we could talk about all day and night, but um, more you make him godlike, uh, you know, that, that's his worst nightmare in a sense. Not that his devotees will turn into Mayawadis saying that their guru is God, and I doubt that could happen, given his emphasis on on that side of the, the teaching. But to fan the flames of, of fanaticism is is, mm. is, uh, is is problematic. So I, I think it's a more uh, you know uh, loosely uh, looked at a little bit more loosely. He was empowered by Nityananda Prabhu, who who was particularly. Um, Empowered by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to 
brutal class and those who were rejected from the society of Varnashram and so forth in Bengal. Um, that was his work, Prabhupada's work is similar, analogous. Um, and he established Lunatai deities everywhere, which Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasthataka didn't do, for example. So the influence of the Nanakur was prominent in Slavic and, and so on. Um, um, but, you know, I wouldn't make him uh, synonymous with Nityananda Prabhu, for example. Um, um, so, I, I, anyway, I look at the term as more generous and, and, and broad rather than a, a, a real a refined theological statement. Mm-hmm. Um, Avesh is, you know, a broad term. Mm-hmm. Empowered by, the, by God's potency. You know, which potency? Now you come up with Nityananda uh, 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 Avesh. Well, that would be a new term in itself. The Sridhar Marsh kind of created. I mean, of course, he has power. Nityananda Prabhu. Um, and he could empower someone to do something. And, and he did have empowered associates uh, in, in his time and so on and so forth. But um, I, I would like to add Prabhupada's name to the list of, you know, Shakyavesh avatars, so to speak. Mm. Uh, uh, I wouldn't look like that. And I don't think that Sri Ramesh, you know, meant it in that way. But for lack of another term, hmm, empowered, you know, by the, by the, uh, by the potency of Nityananda. To some extent, Nityananda was living in him, something like that. Mm. In great, in great measure for for his work, um, and but you know he himself was you know I'm assuming um, speak in an unassuming way and speak about his accomplishments and so forth, but overall he was um, um, unassuming and, and he imposed himself as being omniscient, which comes up in in Karnamrita's questions, um, you know. In, Omniscient in all respects. Does that help? Yeah. Well, I guess. Yeah. 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 He'll be really happy with that. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, let me see who else has a question. I think so. Mahara, yeah, Mahara has a question. Good morning, Swami. Good morning. Um, I have a few questions, but I don't know if there'll be time. But um, I was reading in the Bhagavatam 10, 27, 28, Sanat uh, Goswami and uh, Jiva Goswami. They said that um, the assistance, and this is, was interesting to me because I never heard this, but the assistance of the Lord, the cowherds, were not present at the time when Indra secretly met with um, Krishna after he committed his offense to Krishna. And um, thus it says, thus they did not know about this event because the cowherds did not speak about it. It was not well known in Drudge. In the Padma Purana, it says this, in an, it, this happened in, no, in another cult of the cowherds along with Mother Jasoda and Nandamaraj were there. So that was interesting. But my question is mostly about 
why, um, I mean, like when Krishna takes the post of Indra, um, what happens at that time? Because I don't think he would do what Indra did. <laughs> Is there that pastime? Does that pastime take place? Well, the, 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 all the pastimes don't have to take place in the same way. Or, or in, yeah. Or are uh, bound by, by history, by how they were performed in the past and so forth. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. If God took the place of Indra, I don't think Krishna takes the place of Indra, but Vishnu might take the place of Indra. Um, hmm. Or Vishnu might take the place of Brahma. I don't think it's actually Krishna doing that. Oh, you, yeah. You know, split, right. you know, theological hairs there. But um, yeah. with regard to that, that pastime, um, the spirit of that really is that um, Indra came to apologize. And um, if I come to apologize to you and you're sitting with all of your associates, it's a little harder for me to do so. Hmm? All of them are upset with me as well. Um, and maybe they're more upset with me than you are hmm? because they're, mm -hmm. they're offended by the fact that uh, I have offended their object of love and so forth. So to make it easy on Andrew, Krishna separated himself from the, the greater group of cowards and met with Indra, who was accompanied by other gods, offered gifts and so forth. And then, and they, uh, and Indra bathed him and crowned him as the king of the god, god of gods, and so forth. Gave him the name Govinda, or some Puranas is the name Upendra. Um, um, and so to make it easy on Indra, and then Indra's prayer there, you could hear them. You can read them in the Bhagavatam. But I think that, um, uh, yeah, I'm quite sure that Jiva Swami and Gopal Champu has the coward voice seeing that something going on from a distance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And of course, when Krishna comes back from there, he's got all these gifts that the, that the, that the gods have given him. And they're curious uh, for all the, all the uh, uh, cowherds to see, regal dress and, uh, and, 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 you know, gift from every god, so to speak. <clears throat> and um, being, um, uh, in their own minds, equals with Krishna. Um, they take some of the gifts out of his hand and start wearing them themselves and, and so forth. And they're raiding on back to, uh, to Vrindavan, dressed in all this attire of these uh, that the gods have given uh, to Krishna. And um, they're quite a sight then when they return to, uh, to uh, Nandagram and some explanation is required. Hmm? So uh, the cowards will offer some explanation and um, as to where these things came from and so forth. And uh, like some guy with five heads came and did this, some guy with four heads did that. And, and then Nanamaraj would think to something like, well, whatever, you know, these, these, been, these coward boys to tell all kinds of stories and just forget about the fact that they have all this paraphernalia and so forth and, and carry on with uh, with uh, with the human-like Leela and so on. So um, it's a very nice account given there by Jiva Goswami and Gopal Champu of their awareness from a distance. Hmm? Mm -hmm. 
So different, different ways it may be described by the same Acharya at different times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you. And uh, Mitra was wondering how come samadhi is, um, there's a few definitions for it. Samadhi can be either deeply absorbed or when where someone's buried or there's the pushpa samadhi. Why do they have the same names? You know, the burial site and the being deeply absorbed going into trance. Why is that? There's well, the idea is there that um, when a person enters into samadhi, um, mm-hmm. once and for all, it's thought, uh, say, let's say the acharya enters into samadhi once and for all, then he uh, retires, Krishna retires him from the world. And then um, so he uh, is honoring that state, the last state mm-hmm. that we found him in. Yeah. Uh, in this world is being preserved, so to speak, and honored. Therefore, the tomb or whatever is, is called a, a samadhi. It's an honoring of his, his state of samadhi. The state of samadhi would, would, would be such in bhakti that his body um, becomes spiritualized, so to speak. And so to honor the body rather than cremate it, hmm, which is normally done for those who uh, to, who die to preserve the the body as best one can, you know, um, and put it in a tomb, and that becomes a place of worship. So therefore, it's called a called a, a samadhi, a samadhi tomb, honoring his samadhi, something to that effect would be the idea. Now, it's not that every acharya has his uh, body placed in, in samadhi in that respect. In fact, Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsitaka was uh, almost cremated, um, perhaps by mm-hmm. his, his own desire, stated desire, I'm not sure, but it was. And then, of course, the ashes were placed there. But um, but uh, it's been characteristic to preserve the body. <clears throat> At least I, I heard that the other day. I think that's accurate. Um, so, um, anyway, that, that's the... Hello. Uh-oh. Oh, sorry. I didn't hear the last second, the last few seconds that you said. Uh, I, I, I was just explaining that the samadhi is, is the honoring of the perfection, so to speak, spiritualization mm. of the, of the uh, um, sadhus form. That's a state of samadhi. So we honor that state by preserving it in a tomb and making it a place of worship. So it's, it's really... It's an it's honoring the samadhi, the state of samadhi in a physical way, mm-hmm. giving a physical form to the state of samadhi that it may be perpetually um, honored. Yeah, well, thank you. That that was really nice. Thank you. Okay. And then I just read um, today that in the the section where the cow herders are. Uh, going inside the the lake and the lake of Brahman, it's called by Deva Goswami. And um, lake of what? They call it the lake of Brahman. It's where they got to see the Brahman. They got to realize Brahman in the lake yeah. when they went inside. And so it's said in there that a crow who caused suffering by separating them from the gopis and the Vrajavasis from Krishna had seen the lake of Brahman by by Gyan 
whereas the cowherds saw it by their eyes. Thus, they were greater, it says. But um, I didn't realize that. Um, of course, this could be like what you were explaining the last for my last question, but um, that I thought Akura actually saw um, the... I thought he saw Vaikuntha and... Um, well, some of the commentators said that he saw Vaikuntha. Yes, the Vaikuntha was revealed to him. He saw Krishna and Balaram as Vishnu and Anathasesh. Um, yeah. Example, and that he saw Vaikuntha. Whereas when Krishna took the cowherds there from Braj, and when they requested what would be the, be, what would they be their next life, he took them there, and then he showed them Goloka, Mahabaikuntha. So there, that's a yeah. difference often made between what was revealed to Kakura and what was uh, revealed to the Braj Basis, Vaikuntha. And yeah, but it, what what does that mean by Gyan then? Because it, isn't that just knowledge? Like by knowledge, he uh, saw it. He didn't see it with his eyes because they're saying the cowherds saw it with their eyes. Good enough. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> there are different ways to distinguish. Like I said, I think the main point yeah. is there's a difference between what was revealed to Badura, what was revealed to the coward, yeah. given that there. Akura is a matura devotee, so his bhakti is different yeah. than the bhakti of the of the Brajbasis themselves. And so they all see have a different um, experience of transcendence. Okay, yeah. Thank you. You're helpful because otherwise I take everything literally. So it's great to have yeah. you helping. Okay, glad to be of service. So I. Time, huh? Yeah, yeah, I think we're out of time. Um, okay. Good questions and good answers. <laughs> Thank you. Until next week. Hare Krishna. Okay. Bye, Bo. Bye.